Lord God, as we prepare to look into your word this morning, our prayer is that it would come alive to us, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, working in us and among us, would just make this passage live for all of us. And so we understand the truth of what you're saying, we understand what you're saying to us, and uh, help me, Lord, just to speak it as you'd want us to We pray in your name. Amen. If there's anything that people appreciate in others, uh, it, or even in things, it is consistency. Because consistency brings security. We like something we can count on. We like something we can depend on. We like something that we know is going to be the same again tomorrow. Apparently, for pharmacists, uh, one thing that is consistent is doctor's almost illegible handwriting on prescription slips. <laughs> Came across an interesting story about this. A man walked into a drugstore called Yonkers Pharmacy, and he handed the druggist doctor's prescription for a narcotic. The druggist looked at it, and then he asked the customer to uh, return later on that afternoon. And so when the customer left, the druggist phoned the doctor about this prescription. And it turned out that the man had visited the doctor's office the day before, and when his request for a narcotic was refused, he stole a pad of prescription slips, and the blanks, and then after reading a bit of a book about the subject of prescriptions and all that, he forged the prescription. And uh, so they, they caught him. The druggist, though, was later on was asked, what tipped you off that this was a fake? And replied, that prescription was way too legible to have ever been written by a doctor. <laughs> so, I don't know if you've seen prescription slips that doctors write out. Yeah, you can't read them. <laughs> Another place that consistency is very desirable is, is, of course, in the Christian life. To see a person who, no matter what happens in his or her life, always walking close to God. Always exuding the joy of the Lord. Always knowing what the Lord would have him or her do in any given situation. That's enviable. That's desirable. It's a lifestyle I'm sure that all of us would find desirable and attractive and wish we could attain to it. I, I would. Consistency. The more we study the life of Joseph, the more we realize that he was this type of person. And we're going to see this come out today as we look at Genesis chapter 40, the passage we come to in our study through the book of Genesis. If you remember from last week, we left Joseph in jail. He had been put there on a false charge of rape by Potiphar's wife. Just after he had been given a couple of promotions by Potiphar, his master, uh, he had risen to the place of head slave. So he's still a slave, but as a slave, he had it the, probably the best he could. Potiphar trusted him so much that he put everything into his hands, all under his control. He put Joseph in charge of any, everything. Potiphar entrusted that all to Joseph, and so as a slave, he had it pretty good. And then suddenly, out of the blue, he's maligned, he's railroaded into jail, an innocent man. How do you think this turn of events affected Joseph's faith? He had done everything right. 
and everything went wrong, as we saw last week. Did he grow bitter? Did he shake his fist in God's face? Did he throw his hands up in the air and say, what's the use? What's the point? Did he start wondering if there even is a God? Or did he maintain a consistent walk with God through it all? Right at the end of chapter 39, where we closed off last week, we get a hint that the answer is likely the latter. Verse, chapter 39, verse 21 to 23, where we ended last week. God was with him in jail there. God was with him, and he gained favor with the chief jailer. And after a period of time, Joseph was promoted to supervisor over the whole jail. So I think it's obvious that this would not have happened if he had turned bitter and sulked about his unfair and unjust treatment. And as we go through the events of chapter 40, we will see Joseph continue to exhibit a consistent godliness in spite of it all. And there are some great truths there for us. Instead of going through the story first, like we usually do, and then looking at the application, we're going to just kind of do it all together this morning. As Christians today, we need to understand how to live a life of consistent godliness. And we can grow in this understanding by following the examples of Joseph here in Genesis chapter 40. First example I see here in Joseph as we go through it is that we need to have a sensitivity to others. Have a sensitivity to others. So as you start the story there in chapter 40, it opens with two more prisoners coming into jail with Joseph. Two of Pharaoh's officials. Verse 1 tells us that the chief cupbearer, and some of your translations may say the chief butler. Some translations say butler, some say cupbearer. And the chief baker. They offended the king of Egypt. And what the offenses were, we are not sure, but they were serious enough for for Pharaoh to throw them into jail. And verse 3 says they were put into confinement in the house of the captain of the, bo- of the guard, or the bodyguard, which was the same place that Joseph was confined. Something ringing a bell here? Who is this captain of the bodyguard? We've seen that phrase before. Oh, look back to chapter 37 and verse 36. That's when... The- Joseph was first sold into slavery in Egypt. Says, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. And then, 39 verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The captain of the bodyguard is Potiphar, Joseph's old master. And apparently part of Potiphar's duties as captain of the bodyguard was looking after this particular jail. Uh, Which, of course, he would have had other people do for him, but it was his department and his responsibility. And so the cupbearer, or butler, and the baker joined Joseph in this jail. Then verse 4 tells us something interesting. Under the captain of the bodyguard, Potiphar, under his orders, these two officials of the king were put in Joseph's charge. It was Potiphar, the one who threw Joseph into jail, who gave the direct orders that these two new prisoners 
he put under Joseph's charge? That's interesting. Had Potiphar, in the time since Joseph was sentenced, come to realize that Joseph is innocent? Yeah, I just find that interesting. At any rate, he knew Joseph was a competent man, and he put Joseph in charge of these two men. So they're all there in jail, and according to the end of verse 4, they were there for some time before the rest of the events of this chapter took place. Then in verse 5, something interesting happened. Both the cupbearer and the baker had a dream that same night. Both the same night. And both of them are puzzled about their dreams. When Joseph came on his morning rounds, doing his duty as supervisor of the jail, he came upon the cupbearer and the baker, and he noticed that something was wrong. It was the look on their faces that told Joseph something was wrong. Verse 6 tells us that Joseph observed them, and behold, they were dejected. And that tells us something about Joseph. He was sensitive to others, and he sought to help them. He wasn't a cold-hearted supervisor who cared nothing, really, about the people in his charge or under his care. He just went about doing his job. He was obviously a person who cared about the people in his charge, and he sought to help them. And so he took note of them as he checked on the, his prisoners. <coughs> he took note of them, and he realized that their faces are down. They're, they're dejected. Something, something wrong here. And he sought to help them. He asked them what was troubling them, and he learned that the trouble was their dreams. Now, obviously, they felt that these were no ordinary dreams, but rather something more real, something more significant. And again, Joseph could sympathize with them here. He had had some dreams, too, once upon a time. Nothing like the sympathy of someone who knows by experience what the trouble is to bring comfort, is there? Nothing like the comfort of those who have been through what you're facing and know what you're going through. The more we study this man, Joseph, the more we see in him the qualities that we can admire. Here he is. We see him, a caring and a sensitive man. And we can learn from this. No matter where you are, or where God has placed you, remain sensitive to other people. To their needs, to their problems. You can have a good ministry to people no matter where you are if you remain sensitive to people. And as Christians, we're, to, we're, we're told to be encouragers. That's what God has commanded us. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. And let, us not, or, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's the direct command we have from God as Christians to encourage each other. And if we're maintaining a consistent godly life, a life of consistent godliness, this will be taking place. We will be sensitive to others and we will seek to encourage. And also, if we make sure that we are keeping a sensitivity to others, it will help us in our quest to live a life of consistent godliness. And we see here in Joseph this very thing being played out, being lived out for us. He wasn't so concerned with his own unfair treatment 
that he forgot about others. Often that is what happens to us when we have troubles. We, we are so consumed with our own problems, our own needs, our own situations, that we don't see the needs of others around us. But consistent godliness is remaining sensitive to others, no matter what our circumstances are. Second example of Joseph is, that we can learn from is we need to have a sensitivity to God. Have a sensitivity to God. So not only was Joseph sensitive to others, but he was sensitive to God and to the voice of God, as we can see as the story goes on. The cupbearer and the baker told Joseph about their dreams. And Joseph, desiring to help them, says there at the end of verse 8, I think it's verse 8. Yeah. Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. What a remarkable statement. Joseph tells them, you guys had a dream? You don't know the interpretation of it? Well, only God knows the interpretation of dreams. So tell, her, tell me your dreams. <laughs> remarkable statement. Joseph is claiming to be able to receive from God the meaning of these dreams and relay to them what the dreams meant. So in order to do that, he has to be sensitive to the voice of God. So, thus encouraged, the cupbearer related his dream first. He dreamed that there was a grapevine in front of him with three branches. And in his dream, he watched it bud and bloom and then produce clusters of ripe grapes. And he had Pharaoh's cup in his hand, so he took the grapes and he squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup. And then he brought the cup to Pharaoh and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Joseph listened to the dream, and then he gave the interpretation of it. He said, the three branches that you saw, there are three days. In three days, Joseph said, Pharaoh would restore the cupbearer to his former office, and he would have the same job that he had before. So that was good news for the cupbearer. Three more days, he's going to get his old job back, he's going to be out of jail, and he'll be serving Pharaoh like he had before as his cupbearer. And then Joseph asked a favor of the cupbearer. He says, when you get out, could you please plead my case to Pharaoh? Joseph said, I, I've been kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. I've been unjustly thrown into jail. And uh, so when you get out, could you please talk to Pharaoh for me and get me out of here? And we're, doesn't say it, but we're left with the impression that the cupbearer agreed to do that. Well, this favorable interpretation encouraged the baker to tell his dream. <laughs> so the baker, he dreamed that he had three baskets on his head. Back in those days, they carried things on their head, baskets on their head. You've heard seen pictures of people in other countries <laughs> carry stuff on their head. These are hands free to do other things. So if you're good at it, you can carry stuff on your head. And some people do that uh, and are very good at that. So he's got three baskets on his head, and they are they have loaves of bread, loaves of white bread, it says. Uh, but the top basket, and these are all bread for Pharaoh, of course, in his dream. But he said in, the, in his dream that the top basket, in addition to loaves of white bread, 
contained all kinds of baked food and goodies for Pharaoh. So think of uh, think of Signe's baking at a church potluck, for example. <laughs> all kinds of good baking, fancy cupcakes with artistic icing, muffins, little cakes, pumpkin pies with whipped cream, Saskatoon berry floats, Nanaimo bars. Donuts, chocolate glazed donut holes, <laughs> angel food cake with whipped cream and strawberries, chocolate pie with whipped cream. <laughs> it's a dream. <laughs> Apple fritters coated with sugar, rolls of left side with butter and sugar rolled up there and so nice. Where was I? I got lost here for a bit. Uh, the baker, he's taking these to Pharaoh in his dream. <laughs> but as he's taking them to Pharaoh, there were a bunch of birds come and started pecking and eating the stuff in the top basket. I doesn't say what kind of birds they are. My bet, magpies. They're out flying around, yakking and pecking at the food. Well, that was the dream. Unfortunately, the interpretation of this dream is not as favorable as it was for the cupbearer. But Joseph has no choice but to tell the interpretation. Three baskets are three days. And in three days, Joseph explained, Pharaoh would remove him from jail and would hang him. And the birds would come and eat his flesh as he's hanging. Kind of gory interpretation. So that were the dreams, and those were Joseph's interpretations of it. And the third day came, and it said the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. So Pharaoh threw a big party for his birthday. And they all saw the fulfillment of the dreams. Everything happened just as Joseph had, under God, predicted as he interpreted those dreams. Now, obviously, in order for God to make the meaning of the dreams known, Joseph had to be sensitive to the voice of God. Or else he would, or could never have heard from God the revelation or the meaning of the dreams. So Joseph, even in a time of unfair treatment, in a time of trouble in his own life, was sensitive to the voice of God. And you know, it is often trouble and hard times that makes us sensitive to God's voice. Times of sickness, times of sorrow, times of loss, times of grief. Hard times can cause us to go one of two directions. It can cause us either to grow bitter and angry towards God, or cause us to turn toward God and open ourselves to God like we never have before. And if that is the choice we make, and that is our choice to respond in one of those two ways, but if we choose to, choose to open ourselves to God, if that's the choice, the heart that is wide open to the voice of God is a person who's suffering, say, a terminal illness. person who's just been laid off and is without a job and has no prospects of one. The person who has a child or has children that are just breaking their hearts. The ones who have had the bottom drop out of their lives. If in those circumstances they turn toward God, they have a sensitivity to the voice of God that they perhaps would never have otherwise. 
They are sensitive. And likely that's what it was as Joseph's trouble gave him a sensitive heart. Friend, no matter what happens, remain sensitive to God's voice. Even when you are down, down times can result in great things because down times are teachable moments. Let God use them to teach you. Because you are in a place where if you are walking consistently with God, you are sensitive to His leading and His teaching. God has something to say to you. Hear it. Have a sensitivity to God. Thirdly and finally, be accepting of God's plan. Verse 23 tells us that when the butler was restored, or the cupbearer was restored, he forgot all about Joseph and the favor that was asked of him to remember Joseph to Pharaoh. Forgot all about it. Man, you can't help but feel for Joseph. But God had a plan in all of this. You see, we have an advantage over Joseph here. And that is, we know the story. Joseph didn't know the story. When this was taking place, Joseph had never read the book of Genesis. Now, we of course know what God was doing, and we know what God had in mind, because we know the story. But put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He had no idea what God was doing. God was positioning things to bring Joseph into leadership over all of Egypt, and eventually it would be the cupbearer who would bring Joseph to Pharaoh's attention when the time and the circumstances were right. But Joseph didn't know that. That's chapter 40, yeah. But we've seen from this whole chapter, and also last week in chapter 39, that it is obvious that Joseph didn't sit and sulk about his sorry situation in life. Rather, he made the best of the situation, no matter what the situation was. He believed that God had it under control, and that he had a plan, even though he didn't know what that plan was. Notice Joseph's wording when he asked the cupbearer to remember him to Pharaoh to plead his case there in verses 14 and 15. As you read that. I don't see any malice coming out towards his brothers or for Potiphar's wife. Joseph just states his innocence. Friend, living a life of consistent godliness means making the best of every situation that God allows you to go through. Believing that God is in control and has a plan, even though you have no idea what that plan was or is. Someone has said, live to the full every situation you believe to be under the will of God. Live it to the full. Whether you understand what God is doing or not. Because you know that God has a plan, even though you don't know what it is. Whatever your situation is, live it. Live it to the full. Get a promotion? Have at it. Get a raise? Get a bumper crop? Live it. Enjoy it. Have an equipment breakdown and can't work? Go for it. Live it to the full. Lose your job? Live it to the full. Really be unemployed. As you walk with God, wherever He has you, be all there. Be all there. Don't emotionally or any other way distance yourself from your situation and wait for God to do something. 
No, wherever God has you, be all there. Listen, friend, God is in control. He has a plan for you. A plan for you. He won't tell you in full detail what it is. If He did that, you wouldn't have to trust. You wouldn't have to live by faith. And that's what the Christian life is all about, living by faith. God will just reveal to you the next step and lead you one step at a time and you have to watch it unfold. Like Joseph had. He's working out the plan and we need to accept it, but in the meantime, live your situation to the full under God and don't sulk about your sorry state. Consistent godliness is accepting God's plan even when we don't know what it is. And we will. So therefore, from the examples of Joseph here, we can learn something about consistent godliness. For the purpose of the closing application, we'll turn the main points around. As we strive for consistent godliness, we need to be accepting of God's plan. No matter what happens, remember, God has a plan and is working it out. We won't know until it's over. But he's in perfect control of what is going on. So wherever you are, be all there and live to the full every situation that God brings. Secondly, be sensitive to God's voice. All hard times, if that's what you're experiencing, be sensitive. Allow it to breed in you a sensitive heart. Listen to the voice of God. He has something for you to learn. Through this. And then thirdly, be sensitive to others. Don't get so wrapped up in yourself that you forget that there are others. And as Christians, we have a responsibility to be encouragers. Do that. Let's take a moment of silence. Give you a few moments to be alone with God in your own heart. Listen to what God may be saying to you.